0: This just all words. There's just there's no room to put a picture in there. And if I had a learning space, I would be able to <laughs> do the whole lot.
1: Schilt. And I'm Ronnie Sullivan. And welcome to Sisteria, a podcast about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences creating and consuming arts and culture. In this week's episode, we chat to cartoonist and writer Judy Horacek. Judy's cartoons have appeared in The Age, The Australian
2: and The Canberra Times, and her pointy-nosed characters can be found on fridges and toilet doors all over the world. Nine collections of her cartoons have been published, including Woman with Altitude, I, A Woman, Hear Me, Draw, and her latest, Random Life. Judy also creates children's picture books, both on her own and in collaboration with Mem Fox.
1: In this episode, we discuss breaking into the boys' club of cartooning, being the new official cartoonist of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and being a children's book illustrator with hard-hitting questions like, where is the green sheep? We started this week's episode by
2: asking Judy about her journey to become the prolific cartoonist we know and love.
0: I always drew as a kid, and I always wrote poems and things and stories since I was that kind of kid. But then that you'd get discouraged from, you know, wanting a career as a writer or an artist. So I went to university, I did a, a Bachelor of Arts degree. I did major in fine arts and English literature, so clearly employment wasn't my you know, high <laughs> on my on my list. But um while I was there I started drawing cartoons and that was because I was involved in, this is just like windows, isn't it? I'm opening up and opening up and opening up. I was involved in a writing group that ran out of North Melbourne Library. It was one of the scariest things I ever did was to ring up someone and say I'd like to come to the writing group and then go along and sort of to say as a more or less adult person or I'm a writer or I'm interested in being a writer. And one week... The man who ran it suggested we all draw, do cartoons, and I'd always loved cartoons, but it never occurred to me to do any myself. And so I went home with a deadline and a play, thing to do cartoons for, and I went, like, Yeah, I love this. This is great. I'm going to be a, a cartoonist. And that was at the same time. It's, you're never going to have to, no more questions. It's going to be me, right? The, whole, the whole, whole. I hope house. so. I hope so. Um, So it was at the same time I was at university, I was doing honours in fine art, and we did a subject called methods in art history, which introduced us to all different kinds of ways of looking at history. So I discovered feminism, and I you know, brought it into my English classes as well, and did a feminist essay about Lady Macbeth, and that was really fun. And so I suddenly had a medium, which was cartooning, and things that I wanted to say, which was feminism. So I wanted to do stuff about my experience. I looked around the and all the other cartoons pretty much were men, mm. and men doing men things, and the women were just the bit players, or the the nagging women holding them back, or the gorgeous women that they aspire to but could never get. You know, the, that sort of standard thing. So I decided, resolved that all my characters, my main characters would be women, and off I went. That is an amazing
2: origin story. Love it. <laughs> Judy, it's interesting that you say at the beginning that you were discouraged from art or from creative pursuits as a career. Was that... Do you feel like that discouragement came from your schooling or from your family or just in the world in general? Like, where was that message kind of being? Well, it's definitely
0: in the world in general and um, it wasn't... I mean, my parents were always very supportive of my drawing and writing but I guess there's always that idea that, oh, well, you can be doing that in your spare time and it's not a very... Good way to make a living. So, why don't you, you know, go and study some sciences or something yeah. like my that? My favorite is there's not a good buck in that racket, is there?
1: <laughs> Love that.
0: <laughs> on Christmas,
1: I got told that maybe I should make cookies that I'd gifted people as my career instead of trying to write. So,
0: who told you that?
1: My stepdad, he's never going to listen anyway. But yeah, <laughs> supportive. Well, I'm they were really good cookies. They are good cookies, but come on.
0: Yeah, well, I yeah. don't know, so maybe I feel it. you can always write while, you, you know, <laughs> while they're while they baking. You know, you get seven I, minutes <laughs> in between moving the trays around. I or... hated doing it. Like oh, I spent <laughs> all day, like,
1: writing's like pulling teeth, but at least, like, I get a level of satisfaction out of it. Like, yeah. this was an intensive thing that I did out of love and then got criticised for. So do you feel like you had found something that you were really passionate about and that you loved, but... Everyone was I kind of questioning. I think if I had been
0: passionate enough about it, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, I think I was a little bit, oh, well, I may as well go to university. And, and one thing, when I was doing year 12, to go to art school, I would have had to make a folio and go and have a personal interview. It's like, whoa, no, I'm just going to fill in a little box and go to Melbourne University and do a straight arts degree. So that's how that happened. And in a way, I'm pleased that it did happen like that because instead of going to art school, which is all about, you know, communicating, your, you know, about expressing yourself, I got this more academic type of discipline and so for me it became about communicating and that's what cartoons are about you know if somebody doesn't get a cartoon you can't kind of say well no one understands me you have to go well it didn't work so that was no, I think I think it was good, and I'm glad I know some of the stuff that I learned at uni. And it taught me to type because I could never finish my essays in time. This is before word processors. God, I'm old. But um, <laughs> I could never finish my essays in time to take them to a typist, so I had to teach myself to type it so I could do it at four in the morning. And that sounds very familiar. This is yeah, that's exactly how my university days were. <laughs> Leaving everything to the last minute. And it meant that I, as I started being a cartoonist, I could fall back on going and getting typing jobs. I'm really old. It's like we were doing it on paper. As you know it's just just <laughs> but that was you know so I had that those things going at the same time just when I you know really decided to be a cartoonist I was just well I'll just earn money from a temporary job for a little while and then I'll throw myself back into cartooning and, and I did that for a bit so when you
2: joined that initial writing group I'm baffled that a writing group the, the teacher would say, everyone do a cartoon Because I would think the outcome of that
0: would generally be pretty atrocious you get a random <laughs> bunch of writers and ask them to draw something They're probably not going to be very good It was because somebody in the group drew pictures all the time So she wrote little stories and she'd say, you know I saw a man with a big white beard and she draw this tiny little figure You know, only as big as a word um, of this man, and so the the guy who ran it just said, "Why don't we all do it?" And you know, one person just photocopied a whole lot of Jaffers. So not everybody took photocopy to it. Jaffers? Photocopy Jaffers? yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, they were his cartoons, and um, so yeah, some writers just went, "Well, this isn't for me." But I just had this light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. And I feel really lucky to have, you know, wafted about going, "I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know. I want to, you know, do something." And then just go, oh, my God, I'm going to be a cartoonist. So you started off in
1: like a writer's group and you pursued
0: that. You said that was kind of scary
1: and like you didn't want to follow the visual arts thing because you need a portfolio and to meet with people. And that was a bit scary. Was there some kind of like anxiety in you pursuing something on your own? Did you feel the need for a sense of community? Is that what? you think seeking that group was?
0: I think because you having put those two things together like that in a way that feels makes me feel slightly exposed uh, so I'll just tell you a third one which is that I was sharing a house with some people and they were wanting to be writers and designers and things and um, they walked up um, Sydney Road and they came back and they said oh we found a studio for us to rent and I was going well, we can't just rent a studio and they go, of course we can we can sign a lease and and so they had this I had this sense that you had to get permission from someone, I don't know who, but that, you know, somebody would possibly would come down and anoint you and say you can be a, a cartoonist. And I guess that's partly the nature of it as it was then, because if you got a job on a paper, then you then you were officially a cartoonist. So it was it was a combination of that. I don't I I think I don't like putting myself forward in that way and don't probably sort of don't don't make out you're special because I don't know, the gods will be angry or something.
2: Yeah, I think that that's very, like, a very universal and relatable experience that
0: um, the difficulty or the hesitancy
2: to claim yourself to be an authority in anything, to say, like, I'm yeah. a writer. And all you have to do to be a writer is write, and all you have to do to be a cartoonist is draw cartoons, but waiting for approval or Some magical tick box that says, okay, it's official now.
0: Well, it's really natural to have that, particularly for women. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're told you can only be X, Y, and Z. And there are a lot of people out there who you look at their work and they're quite happy to call themselves a writer or an artist or something, and you think, wow, you've got a lot of confidence Mm. looking at that stuff you've got down there. It was certainly easier for me to call myself a cartoonist than a writer that was much, much easier. And part of that is that a cartoon succeeds or fails if somebody laughs or not. So you've got this really very easy easy test. And a lot of people wanted cartoons to illustrate articles at that time and did a lot of work for journals and community groups and posters and things. So there was a a, a sort of need for... Cartoons, even if they weren't very good, because I wasn't very good when I started. But. That's not true. Yeah, I was going to
2: say,
1: I <laughs> guarantee you, not the case.
2: So, But when you went to this studio with your group of friends and fellow artists, is that when you started putting your work out in public? Like, How are you getting these commissions from different No, groups? I had
0: been already doing it, so I felt, like I felt like I'd get up in the morning and I'd move to my desk, you know, two feet to my desk, and then I'd just draw cartoons all day and then I'd fall back into my bed. You know, that working in your bedroom, it's horrible, and I think... Everybody, this is my piece of advice to anyone who wants to do anything, get get a space that's not your bedroom to mm. to work in. And for me it was great to then have a studio because then you sort of think, well I have to go out to work and it it makes it, it just makes it seem more real. But I went I door knocking at community groups and unions and and I did go down to the newspapers as well but that that's pretty great. gutsy. That's I think that's amazing. Like that's putting yourself
2: out there hugely. Yeah, no,
0: I, I did. I did occasionally put myself out there. I wasn't always hiding. and I did go, you know, to the writers' group and all of that. It was just, it's just funny remembering how scary it was because yeah. I don't, I don't think things are. Well, they're rarely ever as scary again as when you're first starting and when you're first trying to establish yourself as a certain thing.
2: Did you have like a folio that you were toting around to show people? I did have a
0: folio. And I go, hi, I'm a cartoonist. And they go, yeah, well, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to, you know, I did pick where I went. I wasn't just door knocking randomly down the street. I went to a feminist publisher, Sybilla, as was then in Smith Street. And I, you know, different things like that. And my first proper paid illustration job was for a feminist maths book so somebody said oh um, a a woman called Beth Ma who's a maths teacher was doing a maths book for adults who had been turned off maths and you know a lot of them were women of course because you get women get told they can't do maths and so we had lots of it was really fun every every problem in the book had you know a woman with millions of dollars and a man with 20 cents here, that's amazing like that. and, you know it just shifted it because statistically yes. in maths books where there's people 90 percent of them are men of course and where mm. there are women they're doing something like working out how much bathwater to put in billy's bath whereas the man is building something or you know taking over a giant corporation or something that still happens
1: i think with Kids' books, when people, which is an interesting segue because you've done a lot of work with children's books before, but I know that a lot of my friends who are having children now are going through and making those books either gender neutral or are like flipping more of a the genders. Song. Yeah, women. So your first commissioned work for The Age was published on International Women's Day. Is that right? Yeah, I saw it was. that on the internet in 1995. Did they purposely. Were you
0: born then? Yes, I was. Oh, okay. I was That's 10 right.
1: actually. <laughs> Fun fact for everyone I'm old. I'll take 25, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was that on purpose? Did they actively seek you out as a no. woman? And well, be like... I had contacted a number of editors at the age and the art director, et cetera, and so my stuff was in drawers, I presume, somewhere down there. But it actually took an editor who'd been sent one of my greeting cards. So because I couldn't get very much... I couldn't get stuff that wasn't directly political published. So just sort of jokes I did that could be feminist or whatever. I made them into greeting cards and that was my you know, intervention into the world. And someone, an editor down there got sent one and she rang me up and she said, oh, I've just got one of your cards. I think it's hilarious. Have you ever considered working for the age? Went, Actually, yes. Um, so we, I got this little spot that was not dissimilar to the spot I have now. It's sort of right down the back of the paper. It was on the obituary page and there was three cartoonists that shared five days and I was the female cartoonist that I had one day and that was just an absolute coincidence that it was International Women's Day that they published the first one and that it was Woman with Altitude which has become my which most, is my favorite and yeah, what's my most famous cartoon and people still respond to it and I was the first person to make that pun I know that pun is all over the place now but I was the first. Do you and get royalties every time someone else uses it? No. You should. No, I should get something from Qantas. I think they <laughs> do everything with altitude now. And it was also the obituary of Olaf Zakharov, who was a um, a wonderful left senator who had been killed, leaving a midsummer festival actually by a uh, hit by a car. And so that was, you know, it all sort of came together. It looked quite deliberate, but in fact it was this. Well, the universe, the goddess, put it all together. But mm. but you know, humankind for us it was a. It was a coincidence. That was good and I did that job for a number of years. It was weird being on the obituary page because sometimes, you know, the cartoon look would look like I was making some comment about the person. I'm not sure that some little sub editor down there wasn't kind of being a bit devilish with some of them, but
2: probably if you're the sub editor for the obituaries page, you've got to amuse yourself however yeah. you can. <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird spot though, like it's a very sensitive
0: part of the paper. I don't know why they had cartoons the on that page. Yeah. And they had some other things as well, but the cartoon was right next to the obituary, so now with the cartoons under the weather, the one I do, so that's a strange spot as well, between the, you know, next to the quiz and under the weather. Well, everyone needs to look at
2: those things every day. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's true, and there's kind of, like, part
1: of your work has been taking things that are random, like your recent collection, random life, and making it funny and making them strange and making them relatable the word random is so overused now <laughs> yeah. yeah like that's so random
0: but what does it mean to you and your work oh I think somebody just described my work when I was putting together that collection and somebody just said well your work is about random life and I said oh yeah I can't write that down it just seemed the titles are hard mm-hmm. the woman uh, want a my second book was called Woman with Altitude, and that one was easy. But then other ones have got titles where I just still sort of think, oh, that didn't quite work. So it just it just seemed to fit because I know it's overused, and I know now it should be Rando Life. Just <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs>
0: I don't think it would work quite quite (laughs) as well. But, you know, my work is political in what I've always called a small political sense. So it's not really about Scott Morrison. It's not about Josh Frydenberg. It's not about those people. It's about the ideas behind, you know, the way I think that we could have a better planet, you know, feminism, social justice, the environment, all of those sorts of things. So it's, but it's also about silly things as well, like reflecting back on what we do and how we live now and you know, being addicted to our phones and all you just that's just one the only example I can think of. But you know, there's hundreds of things and I think cartoons are great at reflecting back that life. So it fitted on you know, sorry it seems dated, but
2: No, yeah. but, I mean everything you're saying is so spot on, it's that whole personalist political thing like that's
0: the stuff of everyday
2: life. In a way, You're it's, the, it's the
0: original meaning of random, which is just throwing all these things together that actually have no relationship to each other. Yeah. You mentioned
2: before, Judy, that when you started cartooning, it was a very
0: male dominated
2: um, world, and that you were deliberately and overtly um, engaging with feminism and with small p politics in your work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Choice and because a lot of your cartoons do focus on like domestic life and on women's perspectives and experiences, was that radical
0: at the time? Do you think it's still radical? Well, it was. It was unusual at the time. It's probably still unusual. Cartoons mostly are people when they think of a cartoon, they think of the political cartoon that is going to be about the argy bargy and Parliament House, etc. So, in a way, I was doing something a bit different, was sort of more emotional, more about domestic life, etc. And, you know, there's that whole school of feminist thought that women's lives are important and, and you know, we don't just have... It doesn't have to just be the history of the the men making the decisions and bombing each other and all of that. There's actually a domestic history. So that was one aspect to it. Another aspect is where I was published. It was just an area that I could do and that people were interested in publishing. You know, I couldn't, you know, I can't... couldn't really freelance you know, send something about a politician to the aging. Oh, we'll publish this that sort of and I didn't want to do stuff that dated that quickly. So, it's what it was it's what suited my interests and things. And I think before I had sort of spent most of my time at uni just sort of thinking well, we're all going to get blown up soon, so what's the point? And then just came to a point where I thought, well, no, I actually do want to have my say about some things and I do want to try and make a difference in some way or just a, you know, just put my opinions out there. So that's pretty arrogant, really, when you think about it. But No, yeah.
1: it's important. That's not arrogant. It's those opinions that need to be heard, I think, from different voices and not just kind of the boys club or the people in power. It is kind of using art as a way to kind of get people to not only laugh at things, but Take things
0: seriously. Yeah, and I think cartooning is fantastic because it is. People approach cartoons with pleasure because they're, you know, they they know they like them. You know, it's a it's in a very appealing medium. They don't feel inadequate like they might approaching a giant painting, thinking, "Am I going to understand this?" So this it, it works. It works really well from that point of view. But it's still a very male dominated profession. When I started, there was one editorial cartoonist, female editorial cartoonist, and that was Jenny. Coops and she was in the Daily Telegraph and now there's one female editorial cartoonist and that's Kathy Wilcox in the Sydney Morning Herald. So that's exactly the same, except that because of the decline of newspapers, there's fewer cartoonists all over. So the percentage of women is much higher. (laughs) Great! We can
1: spin those statistics to be really positive. (laughs) On the Boys Club, do you mind if we ask you about replacing Leenig at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival logo present?
0: I, I mean... I'm delighted to be to have done the the thing, and I was so pleased to be so asked. So Yeah. we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, um, and I can't wait till it's all over the city. So that was... You know, Lunig's done it for thirty years or something, so I think that it's 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 hu- a huge thing to re for them to
2: rebrand because he was so synonymous with the visual identity of the comedy festival for so many years. Boy, bye, boy, yeah. bye, and yeah, I think that you know the the change was very welcomed by a lot of people who may view Lunik as perhaps an old guard that does not need to be re- recycled every single year, but also to see something really joyful and fresh and fun come through and be the new visual identity of this huge festival I mean that's amazing
0: but when the comedy festival started it was the age comedy festival so it made sense that, that it was learning again he you know has been Mr Melbourne for a long time so mm. that's good but they, I'm really pleased that when they decided to make a change they did pick a female person and I'm really pleased it was me that's just you know that's my favorite festival I love it and I was just so excited and delighted and and I'm really pleased with the figure I did, and they're really pleased with her as well so there's that Joyful new look. I mean, some people are going to still think it's Looney because people do. They just don't have. They're not paying much attention. No, then. they're not, but people don't. I did a cartoon that was put up at the Museum of Sport and it was two metres high, you know, with my name on it, which is probably 30 centimetres high given that how big the thing was. And someone tweeted a photo of it and goes, Oh, I love Looney. <laughs>
2: Gosh Well that person Who knows One Australian Cartoonist's name Perhaps
0: Maybe But you know My noses are Really pointy And he's he's really really Round round and bulbous It's like Kaz Cook and I Get mixed up Because we're A similar age And we both Do do pointy noses So that's A little bit Understandable But you know I don't know How I get How I get Mixed up With Michael
2: well, I'm excited to travel on a Judy Horacek branded tram. I feel like that's going to be... Am I going to get one of them? I Should see they do so. so? Surely the comedy festival has deep pockets and gets some tram branding. I don't and know. the
0: flags
1: flapping in the breeze down Swanston do Street. Do you know, I think I'm going to be doing selfies all over <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: You know I mean? and, and you can post them and say, I love Lunek. <laughs> <laughs> He's my cherry picker. I'm just coming along winch me up next to the town hall so I can do a photo. How does your... So you were
1: saying you recommend people get out of the house, have a studio, work in that space. How does your daily routine look do you get yeah. up leave the house go to a studio do cartoons come home go to bed
0: yeah pretty much except <laughs> that there's probably less doing cartoons than you think because there's just a lot of admin being freelance it, there's just a lot of stuff that so today I did two cartoons Yay and me <laughs> and then just the rest of the day was following up different things and Um, things that people want me to do I make prints as well so it was just doing a little bit of admin on that making sure you know if you do one picture and you do an edition of 30 then you've got to keep track of all of them so it's you know lots of things like that I do need to sort the balance out a bit better so that I'm spending more time doing creative things one thing I've had a shop on my website and I'm going to close the shop so if anybody wants to buy anything there's going to be bargains coming up because I just don't need to have a cupboard full of my books and You know, there's um, was once upon a time when Alpstein Designs was making merchandise, and there were tea towels and aprons that I could sell. That was sort of good because I could be a one-stop shop. But now it's now it's the book, so I'm doing that. So I'm trying to cut back on anything that's not well, anything that's not fun, but also things that aren't sort of creative as well, and try and find new ways of of doing stuff and, and. I'll probably fail at it because I have done for years. But I'm determined to to have the life people think I have where I just sit around (laughs) drawing pictures all day.
1: And you can have an assistant that's doing all the life admin. But I also think that maybe when you're freelancing, sometimes the admin helps you get into the space to be able to be creative. It allows you to slow down a little bit and miss the creative stuff. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah. So for me, like you were saying before that you took up temp jobs and then you do that for a little while and then do cartooning I'm doing the same with writing and for me when I'm in my office job it's just like the moment that I'm, I'm just like I can't wait to get out
0: of here and start yeah. writing again. But it's also so- the until four o'clock I don't have to worry about not writing, you know, That's this true. is get permission to. You just can't.
2: You just can't. You're on someone else's clock. Yeah. What does that balance look like for you of different kinds of work? I mean, I imagine there's no easy answer to that, but is, is there, do you get a lot of commercial commissions? Is there a lot of, like, how does your work kind of break down? At I don't. Moment?
0: I've always not done commercial things, so I just have always had a blanket rule to mm. not take on business things it becomes like an endorsement uh, and you know I don't want to have to check out a business to make sure that they're not um, chopping down trees in the Amazon before I do a logo so I just go well I don't do any commercial things and I do the two for the age I do prints and things I've started doing a bit more writing and I want to do I want to investigates more writing with pictures so a graphic novel kind of thing but not with not with that many pictures I don't like drawing that much so with big chunks of writing and, and pictures so that's I'm because of the way newspapers are now that they're not a growth industry can I put it like that that's very but, diplomatic yeah I was like <laughs> generous and so there's it's it's not the same you know this sort of career that I've I suppose I've always been aspiring to which is to be a recognized newspaper cartoonist with a proper job it's not going to happen now so I want to find other things uh, to do and otherwise and the world is complicated so I've got this little space that's eight centimeters by six centimeters and sometimes I just want to do something today I wrote a little rhyme called um men hashtag not all men and um and I drew it up for the cartoon for the age and I just went that's that's just all words. There's just there's no room to put a picture in there. And if I had looning space, I would be able to <laughs> do the whole lot. But yeah, when I started, when I started being a feminist cartoonist, I got to do things things like Woman with Altitude. I got to do the cartoon that you might know, Animal Impersonations, where a woman's sitting at a microphone and the man says, could you try to sound less like a woman? And she says, you want me to do animal impersonations? And there was just a whole lot of topics that nobody had really done. So that... You know what happens to women's voices women feeling strong all of that and I got to do them and it was open slather but I don't want to I don't need to do another one of that so and now it's complicated because you've got things like the language of empowerment and that's that's you know it's all been co-opted so much of feminism has been co-opted and so there's it's it's you know, my responses need to be more nuanced. It's not just like, ah, oh, men are bad. It's, a, you know, it's not as simple as that. And legislate. You know, we've changed a lot of the legislation that held people back, and and all of that. So we want to do something longer or something.
2: That's really exciting. That sounds like a kind of a unique project. That's you know, taking the ideas of graphic novels or taking the ideas of a book of cartoons and making it your own in the way that speaks to you and speaks to your art.
0: Yeah, and people have, you know, um, Alison Bechdel and Roz Chast in the States, well, they mm. both have gone from being... Uh, well, Alison Bechdel did a strip, but Roz did single-frame ones mostly, and they've done these longer-form things, and they're amazing. They're beautiful stories with lovely drawing, and and it's so... So it's a thing. I'm going to make it a thing and I'm going to join them somehow. We look forward to seeing that thing.
1: We did also want to talk to you about your collaborative relationship with Mem Fox and your work with children's books because I know I've bought so many for my nephew in particular and my step-nieces' nephews at Christmas time. I always give them a the book. I'm that, Arnie. And they tend to be always with your illustrations. Can you talk about how you got involved in that kind of work as opposed to the more feminist-intense political stuff that you've been doing? Yeah, adult. (laughs) Adult makes it sound Yeah, no, (laughs) adult sounds really
0: weird. I have that problem with my website. For kids, for adults. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, interestingly, doing children's books was the first ambition I actually remember ever having, and I suppose it's because I liked writing and I liked drawing from a very young age, and they were the books that were around, so I thought, oh, I'd like to do this.
2: And you were a child, and you probably wanted to make books for children. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So um, that was was always in the back of my mind and then I became a cartoonist and that was fine. But Mem and I have the same agent so we knew each other and she asked if I would do cartoons for a book she did called Reading Magic which is a non-fiction book about how important it is to read to your children when they're small from, you know, when they're a zygote practically and then all the way up. And so I did that and I happened to mention that I wanted to do a children's book. So she, one day she was... She um, likes to as we all do, you know, work on the internet and happened to be at my website. And she saw a little etching I'd done of A Green Shape, which she fell in love with. So she said, she wrote to me and she said, I know you want to do a children's book. You know, I think you should use this character. This is, you know, you should ask these questions, da, 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 you know, go. And I said, well, why don't you write it and I'll, I'll illustrate it and we can do it together. So that's how it happened. So once she came up with that format, if if there's anyone here who doesn't have anything to do with children, they might not have read it a million times. But here is the blue sheep. Here is the red sheep. Here is the bath sheep. Here is the bed sheep. Where is the green sheep? Here is the up sheep. Here is the down sheep. Here is the bant sheep. Here is the clown sheep. Where is the green sheep? So it's you know it's quite exclusive audiobook. book. I mixed up. That's not the second verse. The you know it's quite a it's quite a form formula. You know there's there's the matching pair that's either you know there are either synonyms or antonyms and there's the rhyme and and everything so we sort of worked on it was a bit of a frenzy you know she'd send me a list of things and I'd draw thumbnails of the ones I liked and I'd draw other thumbnails of other ones I liked until we came up with those ones and that was that book just was an instant classic which is fantastic because you know finally I've done something that's you know absolutely unequivocally successful and that's that book.
2: It's amazing I mean I worked in a bookshop for seven years and that that so often you know parents or grandparents or whoever come in and they want to get a. a- board book for a newborn or for a one year old and that was just um, where is the green sheep and good night sleep tight were just like fail safe, stick them in their yeah. hands they'll be happy, no complaints or more often they would come in and that's specifically what they were asking for. Oh, so I feel like every there's a generation or more of Australian children now who are you know being raised on these books Is that does that feel delightful to you that they, they've had such an impact on I'm so waiting many homes? I'm for
0: when people who had where is the green sheep when they were small having their own babies because when I go on, when Mem and I go on tour, you know, when we go to bookshops and things together, when we have a new book out, the, the people who have been raised on Possum Magic, they're just so excited to meet her and um, so, you know, I want some of that from Where is the Green Sheep? But it's it's just been, it's great and it is you know, nearly everybody knows it, you know mm. 19, well, nine out of ten people when they say, oh, what have you illustrated? I say Where is the Green Sheep? And they go, oh yeah, you know well I actually say, do you know Where is the Green Sheep? And they go, yeah, and I go, that was it. And they go Really? They get starstruck? <laughs> and then somebody goes, no, no, I don't. And then I don't know where to go with that. And they're going, well, the authorities are well, come and should. take your children away if you haven't got that book in your house.
1: Well, I, I think anyone who has kids or has relations, that a kid should definitely have that book in their house or get their hands on that book. That would be my shout out for aunties out there, if you're an auntie. Well, I
0: really love our most recent one that Mem and I did that came out last year, which is Bonnie and Ben Rhyme Again. So it's a companion volume to Goodnight, Sleep Tight, which has Skinny Doug, the babysitter, and Bonnie and Ben, the little kids that he's looking after, and he teaches them nursery rhymes. And in this one, they know the nursery rhymes, and they say them back. And it's just a delight to read out loud. It's just really beautifully paced, and it was very hard to do. I'm so. actually going
1: to go get that. I'm going to see my nephew on the weekend, so I'm going to get him that, because that's exactly where he's at, like the parroting kind of stage. So I love it. him.
2: Sisteria shout out!
1: <laughs> we like to offer our guests a chance to recommend a piece of art or a book or a movie or a TV show or some kind of culture by a, a woman or a
0: non-binary creative that you have been enjoying lately? So what I did at the end of last year was a jigsaw puzzle of The Moomins by um, Tove Jansson. I think it's actually Tove Jansson, but she'll always be Tove Jansson to me. And normally I do, if I go to the beach, you know, to my parents' beach house, I will do a jigsaw. But this was, I was doing a jigsaw out of time, you know, I was coming home from work to do some jigsaw and... I just love her world. I've loved her books since I was small. Eight or so I think I started reading them and then at ten I got the box set and I think she's been an enormous influence on me and my work with her, with the combination of drawing and writing that I really love and the beauty of that. But to... I. It, the jigsaw's in colour, so the books I've always had have had black and white illustrations, and the jigsaw's in colour, and so, and her watercolour, just, especially looking at it at the level of a small piece of jigsaw, you know, you just get to see how the wash is working, or the colors working, or and looking at the overall. I highly recommend jigsaws as a, you know, great training, you know, great visual training. They're just They just sort of get a whole lot of synapses going at once and everything, so that's what I did I recommend the books shout out to those books for anyone who doesn't know them and for adults as well and the the they were done in the 40s and the 50s but then there were later ones in the 70s that are a bit darker she's also a wonderful writer for adults just and she has this beautiful view of the world and it's all a bit like Winnie the Pooh you know how there's all that wisdom in all Mm -hmm. those different characters well it's it's similar to that but there was a Moomin cafe in
1: Japan that I saw and apparently we were reading about it because there was a big queue and we are like, oh, it looks cute. I'd like to go in there, but there's a giant queue. I'm not going to waste my 13 days here in a queue. It turns out that they, if you go in on your own or if there's like no conversation going on between the people, they come and put a, like, a stuffed toy of one of the characters from the movements to sit with you <laughs> to keep you company. Yeah. Do you do jigsaws, Ronnie? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's interesting. The one that
2: I love the most that I've done a few times is this 1,000-piece rainbow gradient puzzle.
1: Not oh, that one. Oh,
2: no, I, don't, I hate gradients. <laughs> I know. It's really hard, That's but it's, brain. I find it very meditative and just, yeah, thinking about the when you're talking about the colours and, and the watercolours and, like, it really makes you pay attention to the way that things shift, often imperceptibly. Like, each piece looks identical to the piece next to it, but then somehow you go from green to red across the course of the puzzle. And so, I yeah, I kind of love that huge, immersive... Like often late night project it's of meditative a puzzle. To yeah, no, I, it's <laughs>
1: like I'm not super competitive in my life. Like I don't. Play sports, or if there are team things going on, I don't care about losing puzzles. I get self, like I get competitive with myself, and like you have to finish this by a certain time. So that sounds too frustrating.
0: But the movements, I think, I want to look up because they're so like I just love them. Yeah, it's them. nice, and then you would just you know, oh, wow, I finished Moomin Papa's nose now, and and all the little characters, and I don't even remember all the names of them, but some of them I remember. Oh, there's little Mai. And what was the scene of your jigsaw puzzle, duty? What What did it look like? The picture? It was called the Dangerous Journey, but I couldn't see any danger. It was just. <laughs> All the characters from there and the flowers and um, and just lots of Tutiki and the Hemlin and Moomin Mama and the Snorkmaid and, and uh, just, that was just really nice. And it was, it was didn't have sky, you know. I, don't, I've, I have a very strict piece to time ratio and if I'm not getting a few pieces in... You know, every few minutes, then I'm just out of here. So (laughs) something like the gradient, or something where you have to pick every piece. You know, turn it around,
2: rotate. Yeah, and and then
0: what's the next one goes in here, and you have to go through a thousand. I go, no, I want to be able to look at a piece and go, yeah, I think that goes over there, and that goes there, and it was, and so there was there was drawing sort of all over it. So there weren't Moominpappa's nose actually was the biggest white space, so that was the hardest part. But the rest of it was. Have you seen the characters? They're, yeah, like they're beautiful hippos and things. They're gorgeous.
1: I've also got a great Moomin T-shirt that I sleep in, so I'm happy to put that on our Instagram if anyone wants to see me in my Moomin
0: T-shirt. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> what you said about the cafe, that does worry me because they are so cute, the characters, but in fact the books are incredibly rich. And so to just have that, you know, oh yeah, cute Hello Kitty kind of mm. aesthetic, as opposed to no, these is actually there's incredible sadness in some of the books and loneliness and and all sorts of they're just amazing books. Read them, everybody. Yeah, yes.
1: my t-shirt says something like "I just I just want to be left alone" kind of thing. So it's oh, yeah. it's it's not cutesy. It's like literally. It's a good one sleep to me mm-hmm. <laughs> Or just live in, but maybe that's just me. Judy, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. We can't wait to see your flags, literal flags, flying through the city very yeah. soon. Thanks,
2: that's Judy. You're
1: welcome created
2: by women and for anyone who wants to listen. Sisteria is supported by City of Melbourne in partnership with the Melbourne Library Service. Sisteria is produced by Stephanie Van Schilt and me, Jessica Lucchiano. For links to everything we've discussed, check out our website, systeriapodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, at Sisteriapod. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and if you love what we do, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. Our amazing theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Last and is available on her latest album, Spacings. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon.